It's the second cup of Joe and John with Joe Elvis and John Dwyer. Greetings from the JTG Global Broadcast Center. It's the second cup of Joe and John. Good morning. Joe Elvis, or perhaps good afternoon, or maybe it's good evening, uh, where you're ever taking in our fine podcast. We're very grateful that you're joining in. What we do here is we hang out. Uh, you have over 60 years of broadcast experience with uh, John Dwyer as an anchor on our ABC TV station here, and myself, who did afternoon drive time radio in classic rock in Nashville. We love Nashville. Uh, we talk Nashville, and today we've got a big uh, part of what's going to of what is continuing to grow here, and especially on the east side, which is where we are in the loft. And do, do you have any other names you can add to our great studio? Uh, we're we're actually in the and cl- <laughs> we're in the we're my in the my closet. former closet of, of, closet of the workhouse of the JTG <laughs> Global International Headquarters, <laughs> along with my wife's business in East Nashville. And uh, we thought this would be a, a good intimate place to, to to hang out. So we, we appreciate you coming here. And uh, Joe, I want to tell you, I missed um, because of COVID. I'm just I, I thought COVID was so 2021. I, I thought we're over that, but missed the big performance of Government Cheese. You're the drummer, a band around for you know 120 years. Uh, you're all still alive, which is a you know, medical miracle. It is. Uh, and you can play very well. You're actually getting better with age, which is, you know, wouldn't call you a fine wine, but um, the gig at Basement East, uh, rave reviews, right? And the album Love is uh, is out now. It so, was fun. And uh, how crazy did it get? I mean, was there you were anything out of a, hand? You were such a dear friend. We played Louisville and Nashville. So Government Cheese started in the mid 80s. Uh, we played forever on a label here out of Nashville, so forth. 30 years later, we still hang out. We still play. And about every five years now, we make a record, an album. And actually, back to records now. And we played Louisville. You bought tickets to that. Yeah, I did. And I ate those. And that was great. Pepper and salt. And then down here in Nashville, Basement East is just literally down the street. And um, everybody, I get a text at three in the afternoon. Hey, we've all got COVID. Sorry. And I could just, I knew it was. Sorry, dude. I knew it was time like when you don't talk to your father in a way like I, i'm not even gonna call him because i can tell he's so pissed just because you being stuck inside uh doesn't work but the gig went great yeah we had about 500 folks there uh the new cd is out we still love to make music so go buy love government cheese it's on apple music or wherever you get your stuff uh like that but uh grimy's is we have mike grimes on um who is the uh, facilitator, the owner, the proprietor there. He's a cool guy. He got nailed by the tornado, and the rebuild is beautiful. So the club looks great. It was just a great night. We all lived through it. Songs weren't any better, weren't any worse, weren't any faster, weren't any slower, but we're all No, no, you guys, you guys, and I like you go every five years. Don't, don't, don't do it every year, no. because really, you're, you know, playing in front of 20 is not the same as... No. But then people forget. Here's the uh, hard-edged rock and roll journalist question I have for you. Right. Uh, you started in 1985. Yep. What would be the, the year that you, as a drummer, put your shirt on? Because you... You were of that era where you played without a shirt for a while, and and deservedly so. You were because I could. You you because you, you could. What what do you what do you? At like, what point did you, did you go ninety three ninety four? Did you just go? Nah. You know, I'm I'm uh, uh, gravity is taking over. What what? I mean, because you you still look good. I'm like you know, it was the eighties. It was like striking out the pitcher. You know, yeah. uh, but I could do it then. I told my wife, I said, I'm going to play with my shirt off now at 58 years. She's mm-hmm. like, oh, God, gross. Can you see people? Thank you. That'd be like the Who concert You're in so Cincinnati lovely. in 71 or whatever when they had the stampede <laughs> and everybody ran. It's, not, it's funny. Now, is that too soon? I don't no. think it's too soon. <laughs> Didn't like six people not You're make it? I know. I am. I, hey, let's get to our guest. Uh, uh, just a, a part of this show, I think, is I, I like bringing on, if we can, local business owners, entrepreneurs, people that they go out, that create jobs, that uh, that that are successful, that are known. And we have one today, Matt Charette. Uh, he's a longtime business owner in East Nashville, a number of the restaurants at Five Points. 
uh, Beyond the Edge, uh, uh, was Battered and Fried now, Boston Commons, uh, Drifters, a number of other things uh, that he's gotten into. So, uh, Matt, thank you for, uh, did you walk, take a moped? Please tell me you didn't take one of those freaking birds. Oh, no. Because I, 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 I would hit you. I would pull out of the drive and I'd be like, that's Matt, but I'm so sorry. I have to, this is, I need to do it for everybody to take somebody. Don't those things bug you? Or do you like it because customers from East, from Nashville can can come and visit your places. I love it. I, I love you having like those Oh, yeah. Because people can just take them down the street. It's not a big deal for them. You know, they don't have to worry about parking. I don't have to worry about them drunk driving, but I guess drunk scootering, I guess that's mm-hmm. a thing. But is, is that SUI, scootering under the influence? Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, did, did you walk or drive? I drove over. Did you? Okay. Yeah. Well, you we're neighbors. You and I are yeah. neighbors. We well, live that's really true. close that's to right. each other. You, yeah, you live up on the hill. Yeah, yeah. that's right. In, in farther... East Nashville, or when we move from here across Riverside, I don't know if people feel this way about where you live, but once you cross Riverside in East Nashville, um, the, the, people will say, well, you just moved to West Virginia. And about, <laughs> stop it. It's well, not our, that far. Our but, zip code's the same. Yeah. We're still in 06. But people, there's a there's a metal thing about, oh, you're past rose pepper. I'm like, shut up. Mm. Go back to northern Alabama where you live or, <laughs> or wherever. You're in northern Alabama, Joe. Then when you get off 65 uh, into East Nashville, from where your new house is compared to the JTG Global Broadcast Headquarters, it's an extra 30 minutes to get yeah, back it, there. It is. You it don't is. realize how far 37206, which I think is one of the hottest zip codes in the country, it's big. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Amtrak's doing preliminary. And the amp big. used to was going to run all the way here because it's so it's so far. Well, you guys are silly. Uh, <laughs> hey, Matt, I, I want to ask you this. Um, you, you're, a, you're a coach, you're a mentor mm-hmm. out of the Entrepreneurial Center, which uh, uh, started, uh, you know, I, I did a story with Michael Burcham when it opened like, oh, I'd say 05, 06, Ish, you don't know. I don't know. Yeah, okay. First question went very well. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, so you, you are a mentor with people that start uh, uh, businesses and and so forth. What is the the most difficult or the most popular um, common mistake of somebody starting a business? What if if they knew that at the beginning, maybe they would have made it. What would be that thing? That's a great question, John, and I'm I'm so glad that you asked it because, you know, most entrepreneurs starting out, they they have a dream, they have an idea, and and that maybe they have a special talent that they're just going to turn into a business or something like that. But otherwise, they think that entrepreneurship is going to be I'm going to buy a nice house, I'm going to have a great car, I'm going to take a lot of time off, and I'm just going to go do this thing and I'm make a ton of money. So that's why it's such a great question because my advice to people is, and it's a mistake that I made, is you end up doing this thing in a bubble. You're, it's a very lonely life to be an entrepreneur. And one of the biggest mistakes that I find that the new entrepreneurs make is they're afraid to tell people what it is that they don't know. They're afraid to show people what it is that they don't know. And what I know and what you know as entrepreneurs, we don't know anything. In the, in the aggregate of what there is to know about running a business, having employees, meeting a payroll, dealing with the government, handling finances, we don't know anything. And so we make a lot of mistakes because of that. And they're avoidable mistakes. And I think one of the biggest lessons that Michael Bertram taught me was to find great advisors. If there's something that you want to do and you have never done it before, find someone who has and I mean, I, I, I spend a lot of time, like you said, mentoring people. I will give just about anybody who I know what they want to ask me and their legit questions that they couldn't answer themselves. I'll give them 30 minutes of my time. I will help them get their business model started because it's that important. Because there's a lot of basic mistakes that all entrepreneurs make that can be avoided. So you're, uh, we've been kind of talking East Nashville centric, uh, I don't think you really planned on building here on the east side, perhaps. Uh, and I know your history goes back to even working at the Wild Horse of doing every job. Yep. Bar back, yep. clean the floor, yep. somebody got sick. Can you carry these dinners over there? Whatever you know. You know, what a great uh, backline to have to where you're behind the scenes and see everything. So how did that, how did that story gravitate to uh, you're in East Nashville? And because your beginning happens before really the boom of, of East Nashville. Yeah. So um, I grew up, my dad was a French gourmet chef. So I kind of grew up in the restaurant industry a little bit. Um, he always taught me and told me 
never go in the restaurant industry. <laughs> and I said, but why, Dad? You're in the restaurant industry. He says, because you work too damn much. Yeah. Uh, he's right. Very much so. But I, I think that's true of all entrepreneurs. And uh, actually, when I got out of the Marine Corps, there was a little restaurant that we went to as kids um, growing up. Uh, we could go to that restaurant because they didn't serve alcohol. And there was another restaurant that we'd order food to go from, but we couldn't go there because they served alcohol. And when I got out of the Marine Corps, uh, and this, was a, this place was just an amazing place. The owner and his wife ran it. They served breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but they were only open five days a week. They are only open Monday through Friday. Closed on the weekends, and they took they were closed for two months every summer. So they just they just knocked it out Monday through Friday, and then took the summer off. And when I got out of the Marine Corps, I went and talked to him with my dad about uh, buying his business, but he just wasn't ready to sell yet. So I decided to move to Nashville and uh, started working at the Wild Horse Saloon. I didn't want any responsibilities; uh, just working the front door. But you know when. You know, I was in the Marine Corps and I, I like leadership and uh, I don't know if I can say this, but it's every Marine's God-given right to bitch. <laughs> but if you're going to bitch, you also have to take responsibility. Mm-hmm. When it's your turn, you take responsibility. And that's just the way that I felt. I felt like I, I'll, I'll complain, but I'm only going to complain if I intend to do something about it. I feel the exact same way, and it's, it always comes up during voting time. And, and I'll be like, you know, people are posting social media now, and that, that's a whole different animal that we could go down that rabbit hole. But, but people complain. I said, look, if you are going to complain, you also need a solution. And I felt that way in broadcasting. Well, they'd be like, well, this didn't work out right, or this didn't work. Or, I said, well, don't you got to find a solution. So you found a solution. You, uh, By the way, was, were you at the Wild Horse when – God, I remember years back before I got to Nashville that there was the the country scoot and boot uh, thing on CMT. Mm-hmm. Is it? Were you there when that when oh, that yeah. whole, oh, whole yeah. thing took off? Yeah, that was amazing. You know, brought people in from all over the country. They loved it. It was uh, it was an amazing thing for that. Well, that's the reason why the Wild Horse Saloon was created in the first place. It's really a television studio with a nightclub built around that it. that happens to have a kitchen. Yeah, yeah. because uh, there was this show on TNN. Yeah. And Knoxville, that was just a television studio, and people would show up there thinking, we're going to go to this club. Well, it wasn't an actual club, so Gaylord decided, well, we've got a gold mine here. Let's let's build a club, do a television show from there, and people will show up in droves, and they did. So you started Management, Development, and Consulting Group, LLC, MDC Group, in 2003. You still have that. Uh, you founded uh, uh, Charette Company. Uh, you're an owner-coach. Uh, your own these uh, different places around five points. How did you get from Wild Horse to to owning? Well, that's a big leap. Well, yeah. So I worked my way from front door all the way through to uh, general manager, and I was not qualified for my job at all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was. Why do you say I, that? I just, you know, I was in way over my head. Um, I you was fell up. <laughs> I, I was a, I was a really good assistant general manager, and I worked for some really great people, but. I just didn't have the, I didn't, I didn't have the experience. I didn't have the knowledge, um, it, to, to, to lead at that level. And, uh, so I well, got fired. How old were you at that time? Do you think? Let's see. I was in my thirties. Um, so this was, you know, 2001, 2002. Yep. And, uh, you know, so they made the right decision then they fired me. And <laughs> I, I think they made the right decision, but it was a great decision for me because I did have enough knowledge and experience to run my own small place. And I spent a lot of time building uh, a model that was a great model. It was beyond the edge was my sports, my first place in my sports bar. And it's got a great model. And I am very, very protective of that model. What makes it like, give me one or two examples of why you think it was a great business model. Why do you think you nailed it? Because I actually took the time to make sure that all the elements of a business model were paid attention to. And I think I use the term a lot of times about as an owner, and this is a mistake that small business owners and new folks make is they, they don't pay attention to all the elements of a business model. So they end up inserting themselves into the business model. And I knew, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I was fired, but I knew that I didn't want to work as much as I had been or as crazy as I had been. And so I built a model that I didn't actually have to be there in order for it to make enough money for me to pay my meager bills. 
So I lived very, you know, resourcefully and um, very frugally so that I just wanted, I, I didn't want it to dominate my life. Of course, the mistakes that I made when I opened my other places is that I wrote myself unintentionally into the model because I didn't know any better. I was, I was very good at the alcohol side of things, but the food side of things, uh, that was a little bit different. I would always just call my dad for that stuff. In fact, when I opened the sports bar, um, he'd come down to help me and we worked on the menu a little bit, but it was just a very basic, you know, sports bar kind of menu. And when he was leaving, he goes, well, when you open a real restaurant, call me and I'll help you. Made of Legos? No, no, I mean, no, come he on, didn't, dad. He didn't, he didn't mean it in a, in a, in a hurtful or negative way. In fact, you know, one of the, one of the proudest things that he, I heard him say was, um, after I opened my second place, he said that it was always his dream to own his own restaurant. And he said to a friend of mine, well, now my son has two. Yep. And so that, that was a pretty proud of course. day for me, you know, to be able to do something that my dad could never do. Mm-hmm. That's tremendous. What's um, maybe rewind just a little bit back to your Marine days. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were in desert storm. Correct. What, um, where'd you, where, where'd you start in the Marines? Give a little bit about your Marine history and how that has applied to your, uh, to your leadership skills. Oh, great question. So um, I was going to college. So I had two older brothers that were Marine, were Marines. Uh, my cousin was a Marine. Um, my uncle was a Marine. And uh, so I kind of grew up a little bit around it. And I, was, I wasn't a good student. I was a good athlete, which meant I didn't have to be a good student yeah. um, if you grew up in the time that we grew up. Uh-huh. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> What, 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 what was your? I need to, I need to know, Matt. What was your uh, your SAT score? Do you remember? Uh, like eight fifty, I think. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I've met somebody that got lower than me. That's pretty good. Oh yeah, I think I'm I got credit for putting my name. On yeah, the, on the SAT. Oh you know? yeah, did you? You, know, you spelled it with one R. That was a problem. <laughs> oh, that, that's pretty. Anyway, sorry. I, I digress. I just I get fascinated with SAT. You're you're like a twelve fifty. Oh my god, I came back as moron. Was, <laughs> I don't even know if I registered. I was terrible. Anyway, you were a good good athlete. Yeah. So uh, so I was going to college and I just wasn't feeling it. You know, I I I went my first semester. I dropped out my second semester. Decided mm-hmm. I'm going to go back. Because I was working, I'm like, this sucks. I was delivering seafood. Uh, my dad got me a job at one of his distributors' uh, places. And uh, I'm like, wow, this sucks. I'm going back to school. Um, third semester, spring break. There, just before, a week before spring break or two weeks before spring break, I'm walking through the student union. There's a Marine recruiter there. And I talked to him. Uh-huh. And he's like, no, we want you to stay in school. So I went and- We don't and I, want you. <laughs> well, they, they were there to recruit for officers and you had to have a college degree in order to be an officer. But I didn't like what he said. So I went and I saw the local recruiter and uh, I was supposed to go in after the semester was over, but I was just, I I was done with school. So uh, two weeks later I was in boot camp. I dropped out of school again and I was in boot camp and I, my brother was a grunt and he was like, make sure you get a guaranteed contract to be in infantry um, so that you know where, where you're going. Well, one day, my drill instructor comes up to me and he grabs uh, two other guys and he's like, you three are going to march down to the uh, Naval investigator. And I'm like, I didn't do anything. I mean, of course I didn't say that to him, you know, I just kept my mouth shut and we marched on over to the Naval investigator. You know, we passed this building that's surrounded by a fence and blacked out windows and armed security guards. And we go inside and the guy says, uh, okay, the reason why you're here is because uh, you guys tested really well on, on all the battery of tests that we gave you, uh, top 2% of the Marine Corps, and uh, we want you to be Marine Corps intelligence. And Whoa! I'm, and I'm like, I don't know, man. <laughs> Did you, know? you get the test mixed up with other people? <laughs> want to double check that? I'm like, I want to be a grunt. My brother's a grunt. My cousin's a grunt. We're grunts. Intelligence? He goes, well... If you do decide to, you know, sign over your contract and go and go the intelligence route, um, you'll be going to school right here at Fort Devens, Massachusetts. That's about forty-five minutes from your home, isn't it, Matt? I'm like, where do I sign? Yeah, I had been in boot camp long enough that I was like homesick, and I'm like, where do I sign? Yes, let the other guys be the grunt. I That's think right. I found a better road. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and uh, and so I end up going to Intel school. So I quit 
college because I was tired of going to school. And then I spent the next year and a half in the Marine Corps going to school for intelligence. That's terrific. What a great story. Yeah. Well, it, you know, after, after Desert Storm, we got back. Um, what did you do in, De- in Desert Storm proper over, over there? Yep. I, I did intelligence. intelligence. Yep. Great. Yeah. Is that up in the air, on the ground? On the uh, ground. On some, okay. you, know, we're, we, you know, the Marine Corps is there to support its units. You know, the mm-hmm. Marine Corps intelligence is there to support its units. And, you know, we were in communication with everybody. You know, the little black box that you pull out and there's an antenna in there and sure. you pull out your compass and you shoot an azimuth. You know, we, we, we were talking to NSA the entire time. You know, we were coordinating all the intelligence. And, you know, one day, uh, one of my staff sergeant comes up to me and he's like, congratulations, Charette. And I'm like, for what staff sergeant? He goes, eight of the primary targets tonight are yours. And all the secondaries are yours. You know, targets that I had, I had identified. And he goes, you're going to kill a lot of people tonight. Great. And, and, but up until that time, I didn't put two and two together. You know, I was just identifying targets. The next day the target was gone and I'd find a new target. That was the first time I really kind of realized what I was doing, <laughs> what I was doing there. You know, so that was kind of a, that was an interesting change of mindset. Yeah, he could have left that out. I mean, you know, you know that, but you yeah. just, you don't want to, you would kind of, I would think, compartmentalize, you know, your thought, you're, you're, you're trained to do a job and, and you did it well and, and so forth. Yeah. So uh, what years were that? When were you? So 88 to 92 is when I was in the Marine oh Corps. Okay. Yeah. You know, and, and rolling back to the SAT score. So after Desert Storm. Uh, don't, one, don't do that. Well, well, well uh, <laughs> one of my buddies, one of my buddies comes to me. This is after Desert Storm. And he's like, hey, uh, did you hear that I'm the new training NCO? I'm like, yeah. He goes, you know what it means? I said, it means you get to boss us around and make us do shit that we don't want to do. He goes, yeah, but it also means I have access to everyone's test scores. He goes, do you know who got the highest scores on all the testing that we did? I said, you? He's like, no. I said, the warrant officer? He's like, no. And he opens up the folder and he goes, you did, Matt, by six points. And I said, holy shit, I'm smart. (laughs) I never knew I was smart. It's was, so interesting that you tested, when you took that test, not to get too granular, yeah. but did you know, did you think you did what, did you look at this and go, I can figure this out, whatever that testing method is? Uh, well, I, I just felt it was easy, right? And, yeah. and we took a whole bunch of tests, right? And so you go into these old Quonset huts, right? And there's, you know, three or 400 guys sitting in this Quonset hut taking a test. And then they say, all right, everybody stand up. If I call your name, sit down. And so they call my name, and now there's 50 guys in the room instead of 400. And we take some more tests, and they say, all right, everybody stand up. If I call your name, sit down. You know, by the end of it, there's three of us, the three guys who marched down to NSA, still taking tests. Wow. You know, so. We have no business even having him on our podcast. (laughs) He's way, way above our pay grade. He found his groove. He did. I just, I think I just, you know, hacked the algorithm because it was just a bubble, right? You're, You're circling the bubble, whatever. So maybe I just found the right. Yeah, no, that, that, that's, that's pretty good. So how does, so you get out of the Marine Corps, you, you, you've done the restaurant, but, but all of a sudden you, you own, you said you didn't get the, uh, the food part right. What, 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 what didn't equate there? What, what was? Well, when I opened uh, at the time, Barrett and Fried, you know, I had this model of Beyond the Edge and I was, it was killing it, right? Where people are loving the food and loving what we're doing and the service and the atmosphere. It was a smoking place, by the way. And it was very smoky, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I opened, you know, the seafood restaurant. You know, the, the guy who I bought the properties from, I own the property now. But the guy that I bought the property from, my landlord, who was a great mentor to me, tremendous mentor. Everyone has to have a mentor. You know, if you're going to do this, you have to have a mentor. I think that's, I think a lot of times we don't talk about it because you and I know it's a given. If you want to do something, you got to have that person who's your cheerleader, who's been there and done that. It's just a given. Um, So he came to me and he's like, hey, I got this other building over here. If I was to lease it to you and you're going to do something here, what would you do? I said, seafood. I would do seafood like I had at that restaurant that I almost bought when I got out of the Marine Corps, did. And uh, so we went that route. And um, so I'm up, we had been open for a couple months. I'm up in uh, Maine, whitewater rafting with my brothers because my nephews are going into the Marine Corps. And so we're doing this trip before they go to boot camp, 
right? So we're white water rafting up in Maine. I get a call from my director of operations and he's like, you know, I hate to bother you on your trip, Matt, but if I was the owner, I'd want to know this, but Barrett and Fry was just reviewed in the Nashville scene and it's probably the worst review I've ever read. Oh no. You know, who is the writer? I bet you remember. Kay West. Kay West. I wouldn't worry about that. She hates everything. No, 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 no. She wrote so many. That was our era too in the Nashville scene when people used to read it when it came out in that paper form and, Ah, well, no, well I, I can't say that. You know, I, I, I respect Kay. Uh, yeah. I, I, have a, I have a great appreciation for Kay because when I got back, so now the internet's blowing up, and this is in its early stages, the listserv and whatever, and people are just trashing Kay. You know, my loyal folks, loyal people, loyal, yeah. loyal people from, you know, beyond the edge and loyal people to me in the neighborhood and friends are just trashing Kay. And finally, I just got on the internet and I said, enough, guys, leave her alone. She did her job. She's good at her job. We probably got some problems that we need to fix, right? And Kate got a hold of me. She said, Matt, no one's ever done that for me before. No one's ever done that. She said, how can I thank you? I said, you know what, Kate? You eat in every restaurant in this city. Come talk to me and tell me what you think. And she did. And we sat down and I let go of my kitchen staff and I cooked for a few weeks. Following year in the Nashville scene, voted best seafood restaurant in Nashville. Year after that, voted best seafood restaurant in Nashville. Best seafood restaurant in Nashville. So, you know, those are just the, op- you know, I think. Every- that was a blessing. If that had not have happened, no. <clears throat> you may have just kept on autopilot and served okay food or whatever, whatever yeah. the, the, the review or the critic, yeah. critical point. I honestly were. still have never read the review, <laughs> but I do know what's in it because of, yeah. you yeah. know, people telling me and, you know, and just having an understanding. You know, I have it. I've just never actually someday, read it. someday someday you'll someday. crank that sucker up when you when you sell the place or something. How about like right? How about right now, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if you still have uh, that same opinion. I'm, and Joe, you do I just, know I that I was it. in the Marine Corps, yes, right? You, you, you remember right. that, right? Intelli- I have intelligence in my little finger that <laughs> sever your head. <laughs> well, it, it, you know that's a whole side story. I hate reviews. For being from the music side. You have one person, you know, good days, bad days for them. And they write something. And, and, and in that era, that's all you had. Yeah. There wasn't like a whole lot of rebuttal. And so, and a lot of them are negative. So I never hardly believe anything that I read that's a review. Yeah. I would go check it out myself. But that's, that's a great way. You, you, you handled it beautifully. And um, I just think an overall comment from all your, your life story here is, uh, I think we all, through transitions in life, job mm-hmm. changes, uh, you felt backed against what the wall. What would you know about that, Joe? Oh, you didn't uh, <laughs> today. <laughs> you didn't know what you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. You're a young guy. You found your niche, your niche in the Marines. Mm-hmm. Um, then Nashville, you know, from Massachusetts, that's quite yeah. a move. Uh, but there's always a. Uh, there's always a kind of a an end at every breaking wave, if you will. There's always a new day. There's mm-hmm. always something by admitting your weakness, letting yep. somebody know what you want to do. Right. And by then, you know, you feel good because if those two holes are filled, then your confidence level soars. That's and, right. And uh, I think that's a, in everyone's life. It's all about the comeback. Yeah. You know, a lot of people really get down, especially to me nowadays. My sons are 22 and 20. And if th- that age doesn't like something, they just walk away from it. And I'm like, man, it's all about the comeback. It is not going to work out for you. Yeah. And so um, it's, it's, it's a new day yeah. to always to, to reach out to somebody and talk to them about what you want to do. One of my favorite things, and, and every time I talk to a group, I, I quote Dr. Gerald Bell from the Bell Leadership Institute. Big fan, been to many of his seminars. But one of the things that he talks about is we communicate at three levels. Level one is just surface. You know, it's, it's cocktail party talk, and that's why people don't like going to cocktail parties. Level two is more about attitudes where we start to tell people how we feel about things, but it's not level three. And level three is the truth. And hopefully today I'm telling you the truth, you know, because, and what's important about the truth is the only place that a problem gets solved is at the level of the truth. And, you know, and I always, when, I, when I'm talking to entrepreneurs, I always say, if I'm in a room full of entrepreneurs, I know we're at level one if everybody's telling me how great their business is. And I know we're at level two if everyone's telling me how shitty their business is or their customers or their employees. It's, their, it's the complaint department, right? We're either telling people the highlight reel or we're sharing the complaint department. What I'm interested in 
when I mentor, when I talk to people, if I'm going to offer you anything, I want to offer you the truth. And, and I think that's why feedback is such an important thing. And I have a sign on my wallet, wallet says feedback is the breakfast of champions because it, it truly is. Because if someone's willing to tell you the truth, and that's why a, a, any customer that's good at giving me feedback, you know, because we get level one feedback, we get level two feedback, we get hateful feedback. But sometimes we get feedback where someone is just like, wow, that was really true. I always say, can I call you again? Can I call you again in a month or a few weeks? Would you mind providing me with more information? Because I know there's not going to be an agenda behind that feedback, but it's just going to be their perspective that's going to be more towards the truth rather than I'm just angry and I'm venting, I'm complaining, or I'm telling you how much you suck. And a structure for that at the Entrepreneurial Center is the Entrepreneurial Organization, EO, and, and that's an international organization that you have, you've been so, your DNA is woven in that, and you've been so great with that. And then, Joe, they put on these time-to-time uh, uh, -time catalyst classes where they bring in small business owners that, to your point, uh, get you to, to, to level three pretty quickly. What yeah. amazed me is I went through that years ago in trying to build jobs for Tennessee graduates. My wife, Lindley, went through it with Lion Interiors. It's an excellent program, but the one thing that I came away with is, is I was maybe my second meeting there was I'm with all these small business owners, and I know what they own, and I have no reason to mention them, but I think of them as successful businesses. Mm -hmm. And for the life of me, I can't believe they stayed open one day. <laughs> uh, the questions they were asking, the things they were doing. I'm like, how did you, you, you're asking that and you're running that business that I go to. And it, it was just, it's like pulling the, you know, curtain and seeing eyes, but it was so fascinating that it was raw and it, it, people let down their, their guard to try to get better mm -hmm. and learn from, I call it fun or unforced errors in TV. When you interview Matt Charette and you spell Matthew with one T. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like, to me, that sticks out. Nobody yeah. notices that. You notice that. Our credible, we unforced errors. The things that, uh, talk a little bit about Catalyst and, and just that program and how many businesses it has helped to, I think the, it was thought to go from 250 to a million in, mm -hmm. in revenue. Was that maybe the kind of the, the yeah, scale, how you qualified and so forth? That's exactly it. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a program that, again, the entrepreneur organization puts on mm -hmm. and it, it's, a, it's a program it's, it's the entrepreneur's way of giving back to young entrepreneurs or starting out entrepreneurs. I don't necessarily mean to say young because we have folks in the program who are you know, 50s and 60s. Well, I was easily yeah. the oldest person in there. And, and the reason why that benchmark is 250,000 is because at 250, you're going to experience a lot of issues that someone who's a solopreneur, um, you know, what, 94% of the businesses in the United States do under 100,000 and are a one member uh, organization. So, you know, once you start to get 250, 250,000, you probably have employees and you're, and you're probably making a payroll and customers and, and then similar challenges. And, and Michael Bertram developed this program to help you understand the essential elements of a business. And instead of muscling your way through those elements and not doing them, you know, put kind of puts a spotlight on them and says, you know, one of my favorite stories with Michael is I was telling him one of my plans and he looked at me, he's just kind of shaking his head with this kind of, you know, perplexed look. And he goes, well, Matt, you could do it that way. Or you could do it the way I wrote in my book or <laughs> taught you in Catalyst or we talk about in our forum, but you could do it your way, you know? And I think that's... You, you can get away with it, which is the most backhanded. <laughs> well, it, and, and I think that's the thing, right? There's, there's proven structures, there's proven systems. Of course, you've got to do the work, you know? And, and what the great part about Catalyst versus maybe an MBA program is because it's a real business. It's your business. And if you are willing to talk about your business, we can actually help you. You know, the, I mean, the, the statistics on the growth of these companies is just phenomenal. Yep. You know, one of, one of my good friends owns a business and she, for years she'd call me, you know, hey, can you got a minute? Can I ask you a question? And I kept trying to get her to join the program. So finally, I was the chair of the program that particular year or the vice chair or something like that. And uh, I said, listen, don't, don't take the program. But it would look really good for me to see that I referred you on the invite list, you know, because I kind of am involved here. She's like, oh, yeah, no problem. I'll come. Well, she ended up taking the class. And I, she doesn't call me anymore because she has her own group of people <laughs> oh, now. 
That's a success story. Sure. It, it's a success yeah. story. But, you know, I said, you can call me and tell me how great nah. you're doing now. Right. But she do, she literally yep. doubled her business. Oh, that's great. 750000 to $1.4 million. That's great. And the 18 months of the program. I just think it's tremendous uh, when your ambition exceeds your ability you can you can you can fear it or embrace it. Yeah. Um, and so we all go through that. Should I take the next step? Should I leave this job and do what I want to do? So, uh, Matt, congratulations! You're a great success story with that, and blessings to all the people you're going to reach here in the future. And what a beautiful, growing city! Holy cow! Mm. Did you get in at the right time or what? Oh, for sure. <laughs> you know, and, and one of the things my mentor, you know, the, the the person that I mentioned who I bought the properties from. He was always encouraging me to buy rental property. Yeah. And in fact, you know, one of the one day, I had bought a new house over here in Inglewood, and uh, I had a house in Antioch. And he's like, "No, rent it. Don't sell it. Let's rent it." And three months later, he pops his head in my office. He's like, "Have you rented that house yet?" I'm like, "No, not yet." He's like, "Give me that information. I'm going to get this rented for you." He came back. The people stayed there for six years. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that, yeah, that, that worked out. Uh, we're going to do uh, a segment here that we do with all our guests. It's rapid fire. Uh, and, and after we do that, this is what we call a tease in broadcast, Joe. Um, we're going to talk to him a little bit. We're going to wrap, wrap things up with Matt Charette, a local business owner with, you talk about uh, resiliency and, and getting through things. Uh, he was right in the, uh, the eye of the storm with, with, uh, with the tornado, March 3rd, 2020. Uh, lost businesses, and uh, and then of course COVID hits uh, and, and shuts down the whole hospitality region uh, two weeks later, and and he has he has re- <laughs> risen from the ashes and yeah. and doing very well. But I would I think people would like to hear that. Don't you think? So, oh, absolutely. So, are you saying right now that it's time for questions? Ask your questions. Time for questions. 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 I think there's questions. We're very mature here, Matt. I know he's going, what it's have like, we done? What is this going what to have I gotten sound into? like? Yeah. That's why we have Chase. Hi, Chase. Chase Akers, our producer here. Uh, <laughs> he's going to clean all this up. So, right. John, not to interrupt you. Yeah, sure. But your listeners should know that you guys should probably, from the moment you guys show up, just push record and let them listen to all the banter that happens before the show starts. It's really guys, good. It is good, yeah. We always leave this. We so always leave fun. this stuff. I, I, I've told the story when I we did the Jeff Fisher show. Uh, he would tell these great stories in the commercial break, like right. the time Buddy Ryan threw uh, a, a, a you know a, uh, and broke a chalkboard before the Super Bowl, and, and people ran out of the room. And I said, and you know Steve McMichael is you know mooning and coach and Jeff, this is great. <coughs> Excuse me, can and, we use this story? And he goes, no. And, now and so we're, we're welcome back, everybody. I'm like right. Jeff. The show should be the commercial breaks. And the commercial break should be the show because the, the show's the game, boring. John, the game was great. <laughs> Wait, that's I wouldn't have called the play if I didn't think it'd work. <laughs> that play didn't work, John. Jeez, oh, thanks, Jeff. Best at answering a question without the question. So you're right. I appreciate that, man. Next, next time we'll hit. Well, it's Chase's fault. He he didn't hit record. Hey, now. Well, I sure did. <laughs> First question, <laughs> Matt. Um, biggest Sorry. pet peeve uh, about a restaurant worker. So, other than the word pet peeve, which is my biggest pet, pet peeve, peeve. <laughs> um, about a restaurant worker, uh, that's, a, that's a new spin. Let's see. Biggest pet peeve about a restaurant worker. I, did I, I just see that coming. An employee, someone that you're in there every day and you're like, oh, they're going to do it. There it is. I would say... I don't like when they don't bring their personality to work. I know that's contrary to a lot of chain and corporate restaurants, but I love when my employees bring their personal genius to work, who they are. You know, I remember one day walking into, uh, oh, this is supposed to be a rapid fire. I'm sorry. I'm no, that's okay. Right. That's all right. I walked into the kitchen one day and I looked down and the cook had made this thing. And I'm like, what's that? He's like, oh, whatever. I'm like, who's it for? He's like, I just made it for my lunch. I'm like, why is this not on the menu? <laughs> You know, he took these ingredients and put them together in a way that yeah. w- we can do that I knew everybody would love. And it became one of our most popular selling quesadillas at uh, or Beyond the Edge. What fantasy camp would you want to attend if you could? And it could be, and I think I know this, but it could be sports, could be music, fantasy camp. I baseball. Bet. I would go baseball. Red Sox. Probably. Red Sox. Yeah. 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 
if you've ever been to Beyond the Before Battered and Fried, it was truly uh, an ode to Boston. Uh, everything, you know, mm-hmm. Celtics, um, Red Sox, so forth. Yeah, you have some really cool memorabilia in there. Are you so, filled with Bruins fans now? I hope so. Uh, I'll take anything. Are they good? I haven't even. Are they Bruins good? Bruins are in the playoffs. No, are they in the playoffs? Oh, I'm yeah, thinking. In the playoffs. Yeah, they are in the playoffs. I'm so disheveled from Nashville Predators thump loss last night. Yeah, was, as if you're listening to this from six months now, but they sucked. <laughs> that was terrible. Uh, you're up. Uh, in that in that spirit, uh, Matt, what's been your biggest Bill Buckner event of your business life? Ooh, yes, nice the, way to think on that, the right. Wow. On 1986, yeah, Mookie Boston had the game right through his legs. Bill Buckner and man, how would you like to live that life from there on? But nothing, uh, nothing like enticing a guest to remain a guest and a fan of the show by asking him his biggest business Bill blunder. Buckner, that's good, Joe. But way, the way moment where you're like, oh man, tried my best, did my best, and we all have those moments where you're like, crap, it went through my legs. I would say, you know. Or moment. doesn't have to be a business decision, mm-hmm. but that time of life where you're like, ah, whiff. Well, I, when, whenever it comes to business and real estate, you know, there's, there's always things that you like, I should do this and you don't. I should do this and you don't. I should do that, you know. And it's, it's those type of regrets of the things, you know, it's like they say, it's, it's what you don't do rather than what it is that you do do, you know. And I think, uh, I, I think in terms of, I would have tried a lot harder to buy more real estate, you know, at the time, but you know, it just, it just didn't, you got comfortable, right? Sure. Well, and this is enough. Like I'm good. This is enough. I don't, I don't need to be aggressive and and do that. Um, Do you have, do you have any hidden talents? My biggest hidden talent is um, a few years ago, my wife bought the kids all ukuleles. And um, I was like, damn, I want one. So she went and bought me one too. So now the kids and I, we sit around and I play the ukulele and they sing. That's beautiful. Should have brought, uh, brought it. Is it like a <laughs> little country? What would, be a, what would be a song? What's your go-to song? Uh, so I actually Tip-toes play, I actually play Sweet Child of Mine on, <laughs> on the ukulele. Yeah. Well, that's, that's an obvious choice. I mean, why wouldn't you do that? I happen to have a ukulele. Oh, darn, I wish I did right now. <laughs> oh but uh, recently we've been doing, uh, what is it, The Greatest Showman, A Million Dreams, I think is the name of the song. Okay. One, one of my uh, daughters just sings the hell out of it. Okay, next time we have an East Nashville get-together. We need to have I'm people. I'm going to text Matt and tell him to bring, bring the strings. Bring in their talent. Uh, Matt, best reward from serving in the Marines? Oh, everything I learned. You know, the Marine Corps, uh, it's, it's, the, it's literally the 120%. It's doing things you never thought you would do, and then you do them. And I always talk to my staff about what I love about the Marine Corps is they train you, they teach you, they test you, and then they say, do you have this? And the moment you say yes, then you're expected to do it. It's not like... It's not like, oh, uh, I thought you meant next week. It's like, no, you're responsible for this, and you better do a good job. And, and I think it's that type of discipline and accountability. And the other part about it is in doing my job in the desert, I knew if I didn't do my job well, people were going to suffer the consequences. So, you know, you, you just go that extra mile. I, I try to be very intentional in everything that I do. It's different when you are the back line, yes. isn't it? Yes. <laughs> Most outrageous thing you've ever done and gotten away with. So back to the Marine Corps, when before Desert Storm, we had this transmission, transmission security team. Like, so everything that we would do to the enemy in intelligence, uh, we would go out and do to, these, to the units in their training exercises. And there was a big battalion uh, training exercise at Camp Lejeune. It was a two-week-long exercise, but we only went out for the second week. And so we went out there and we got on their nets and we were passing them bogus information. We're jamming them so they can't communicate. Well, one of the things that we told them is, hey, you guys better be ready because the general is coming to visit your position. At some point this week, the general's going to come out and inspect you. And they're like, what general? And it was Monday. So we said General Monday. I had no idea that there really was a General Monday. All right. So the last day of the exercise, usually about noon, uh, you know, uh, right at lunchtime, you start stri- striking everything. You start 
striking the the encampments you know everything comes down you know camo netting everything tents are put away it's like you're just ready for bingo bingo is when you end the exercise we show up there at like two o'clock in the afternoon to debrief with their comm officer and everything's still up it's it's friday at like two o'clock all the camo netting still up all the tents are still up we're talking to uh, the major and the and the colonel comes out and goes, hey, I saw some guys running around without their 782 gear, which is all their combat gear, buckled up. Make sure they get that stuff buckled up. We're expecting the general any minute now. We all just look at each other. And so the colonel goes back in the tent, and the major comes, is, sir, we have something to tell you. He's like, what? We are General Monday. He's like, what? Um, we made that up. That was us. We are General Monday. Oh, my God, they were pissed. So, so the weekend comes and goes. Monday morning, I'm in my secure building office, right? And I hear our major talking to our colonel about this. And he laughs. And I'm coming down the hallway. I'm like, I'm going to be fucking court-martialed. Yeah. I am done. Yeah. And he's laughing. He's like, was that you, Charette? Was that you? I'm like, yes, sir. He's like, great job, Marie. Good job. Way to nail it. Yep. That's it. But I, I, I thought my Marine Corps career was over at that point. Beautiful. What's the frequency, Kenneth? Have you ever, in your restaurant life, dropped all the dishes and glasses and everyone claps? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure I have. You know, <laughs> that was the day that ended why in the wild right, horse, probably, right? Which one? You know, the bad part about being the owner breaking something is, you know, if you're an employee and you drop it, you're like, oh, shit, I got to clean that up. If you're the owner and you break it, you're like, oh, should I clean that up? And that's expensive. Yeah, you start doing the math. I pay for that. You start doing the math. Uh, my final question. Um, nickname growing up. Just Matt. Just Matt. Nothing? Nothing. You have a lot of brothers and sisters, though. I was going to say, there's Doesn't Charette. What would be on? the play on, on Charette? Cause uh, that's that's a, a great one. last name, by That's the way. a French. Is that What is that? What's the origin? French-Canadian. French-Canadian, yeah. Yeah. Like, like, Charette? Like, yeah. In the goal for the Boston Bruins. He's pulled in the second period. No. You got one more? So, where do you go as a multiple restaurant owner? Where do you go to hang out for fun? Home. Okay. But uh, on that sidebar, though, what's what's a what's a good spot for you around town? We have so for restaurants. I love the Chef and I in okay. the Gulch. Uh, actually, they're moving. Um, but uh, Chris and I, Chris is the owner, Chef. Um, we we work together at the Wild Horse. He's a phenomenally talented guy. Um, doesn't do anything that doesn't need to be done just to be cool and stroke his ego. Best best food in town. Mm-hmm. And I I travel for a living. I'm all over the country. And um, everyone wants to come to Nashville. Give mm-hmm. me three restaurants. They want to know three hotels and three restaurants. Where is a great spot to find cool places to be in Nashville now? You know, uh, like, do you, is there a center point for that? You have a suggestion? Someone who hears I this. Think, na- I think what's cool about Nashville right now is you can hit neighborhoods and have a great experience. Okay. Whether you're coming to East Nashville, Five Points, or you're going to the Gulch, or you're going to 12th South, or even downtown, Germantown. Germantown. You know, you can really make a a, a really great day of, or evening of going to most of the neighborhoods now, because there's usually great restaurants there. There's going to be great bars. You know, what what I love what we do over here in Five Points is we're still local. You know, it's, it's that local experience, especially, you know, drifters, uh, you know, we, we have a, a, a mural painted inside and it's all old um, show posters, right? And, and we're able to pay tribute to the folks who supported us like, like uh, John Prine and, and Joan Elmasser and, and Todd Schneider and even Jack White. Jack White was there helping us clean up from the tornado. Great. Uh, that's a that's question. Uh, so let's end on this because that's a great segue. You talk about the resiliency of Nashville and people coming together. Uh, no better example uh, than, than what happened with Boston Commons and, and through the Five Points area, uh, March 3rd, 2020. Uh, I, I don't think you literally slept for weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what struck you in as the ashes were still smoldering and walking up there uh, is to see how many people you did know and didn't know 
um, come and say, what can we do? Um, overwhelming, mm-hmm. overwhelming. And every time you want to think that the American spirit is dead and gone and everybody's selfish, that happens, you know? So can you just give us just a, a you know, 30 seconds on just not to go back to that day because yeah. that, that wasn't fun, but uh, it, it was truly stunning. Yeah. You know, and, and the first thing I want to say as I talk about this, my, I, I want you to know that I understand that these were just my businesses. Mm-hmm. I'm still emotional. My house was fine. My family was fine. You know, our neighbors over there lost their houses. Quarter We're mile to where we live. Right, right down the hill from you. Yeah. But my neighbors, literally my neighbors next door to my restaurants. Yeah, I had a building completely destroyed, completely torn to the ground. Tree fell through the roof of one of my places. A lot of, lot of damage, right? Direct hit. But it wasn't my house. It wasn't my home, right? And, and that's not lost on me. You know, that's a great reminder that my, my neighbors, all of Holly street, they were dealing with their homes being destroyed, being damaged. Still are in some respects. Very much so. Yeah. So, so I am sensitive to that fact as I talk about this, but you are absolutely right. You know, one of the best posts that I saw on social media was the, we are Nashville folks. We, we are, we are Nashville post. And that was, that was someone saying, listen, for those of you who were not here for the flood, let me explain this to you. You know, we are Nashville. If you have the ability to help somebody, you do it. And I think that sums up Nashville in a lot of ways. You know, and I remember one day, you know, I had to drive through alleys in order to get over to the restaurants, you know. And, you know, my dream had always been to, you know, make enough, just enough money to buy a house on the beach in Florida and and retire there, right? But after that, you know, when you have a neighborhood, a community that, is going to love and support you this much, you are a damn fool to leave that community. You know, I don't care what people say about Nashville or Na- Nashville's growth. There's an underlying spirit about Nashville that is just phenomenal. And if you have the opportunity to firsthand experience it, and I'm sure both of you have because you're both figures who are known in the public, that support is just unbelievable. It's, it's the closest thing to unconditional that, one could experience i think well said it's hard uh, coming over here you still see some blue tarps but mm. uh you can google the images from that day and uh massive destruction on the east side um people's lives were totally turned around but uh a lot is rebuilt i would i, I want them to redo the ups store that opened up over here i don't know if you use that very much but I hate crossing the river to mail a package. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, you know, but, uh, uh, Matt, I, I tell you, it's, it's a pleasure to, to steal an hour of your day. I know you're busy and, uh, just know that, uh, the number of small business owners, <clears throat> business owners and, and employees that you, uh, have befriended and been a great example for as, as a boss, as an entrepreneur, the lives you've touched, um, you think, you know, but brother, I don't think you know. Uh, your name comes up in a lot of circles in a lot of great ways. Uh, you've invested blood, sweat, and tears in this community, literally. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I wish you nothing but the best. It's so great to see five points. You you were there before it was cool. Um, you're almost not cool enough now. I I, I don't know. I, I just I mean I've I've been told that a lot. Like John, I lived downtown in the early 2000s. I get kicked out because I wasn't cool enough. Moved to East Nashville. They said you're not cool enough to be at Five Points. So I moved up near Matt. And so Matt, we're we're gonna we're gonna be in Pegram soon or somewhere. I don't know where we're gonna we're gonna be, but it's been it's been fun. And thank you for for giving and sharing some of your insight. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for making it fun too. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's always vulnerable to talk like level three truth about what's sure. going on in your life, but, uh, thanks for making me feel comfortable and, and I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, can I mention one thing, John? I want you to, you know, with my Marine Corps experience, with my, my childhood experience, um, with the tornado, a lot of people suffer from trauma, whether it's from their childhood or from the military or an accident or job, there's a lot of different ways for people to experience trauma and PTSD. Um, if you need help, there's a lot of resources now and all you have to do is take that first step. You know, um, Michael Bertram, as a matter of fact, um, he's the one who told me that if you truly want to help people, sometimes you got to tell your story first. 
And so that's why I'm here telling my story first, because it's an opportunity for me to just mention there's, there's resources out there. Just take that step. And I'm, I do a post every veterans day because I've always hated veterans day because I was scared when I was in desert storm, I was very scared. And I, and the thing is I promised myself that I would never be that scared again on March 3rd, 2020. I was that scared again. And so I, I never liked people thanking me for my service because on the worst night of my life, seven Marines were killed. Um, not guys that I knew, um, but guys that were in front of me in the fight. And I always felt a lot of guilt that because I was so scared. Here these guys are rushing into the fight and you know, just a lot of, a lot of, a lot of guilt and stuff. Um, so I never liked Veterans Day. So, but I decided that I would do a post about PTSD and finding help. And, and I do it every Veterans Day. I think I've been doing it for three or four years. And um, I'm always proud when someone contacts me and says, Matt, I saw your post, didn't do anything. I saw your post, I didn't do anything. Uh, well, a friend of mine contacted me this year. He said uh, a guy that he was in Iraq with, his third guy in his unit committed suicide. He said, Matt, because of that and because of your post, I finally got help. That's important to me. Well stated. The uh, you know in the program I run, we deal with uh, trauma informed care. We have students that, um, because of COVID, because of uh, the, the mental challenges that this teenage population has now, is it's overwhelming. Um, you read, um, and it's so sad uh, of these of these uh, um, college athletes, soccer, lacrosse. Um, there's a tapestry on social media of. 30 or 40 pictures of these kids that, that just look like they're all academic American, all Americans. And just like, why, why would they? And they're all, all took their life. It's just, it's a, it's a weird, sad time, but, but it's, it's a great reminder of, of to get help out there. And you, you, you lead that charge. So thank you for, for mentioning that. Is there a form or a place people can go for information on that? I mean, there's a lot of resources out there, you know, and I, I went to this event, through the entrepreneur organization where someone was talking about a cure for PTSD. And I told my wife who was sitting next to me, this guy's full of shit, yeah. right? Yeah. There is no cure for PTSD except for there is, there are actually several cures for PTSD now. Right. But 30 years when I got out of the Marine Corps, they, that wasn't the tune. It was just like, you just got to learn to live with it. Right. So there are resources and I, I use EMDR. That's what I use. That's what works for me. You know, um, what, what is EMDR? It's eye movement reprogramming and desensitization. Okay. You know how like when you fall asleep, you have the rapid eye movement and that makes us dream because it unlocks these hidden things in our mind. And that's the same thing EMDR does, right? It, it creates that rapid eye movement so that it can unlock whatever this is that we're suppressing, this trauma that we're suppressing. And, you know, in, in my scenario, you know, it's just you, you're responding to these triggers that, and emotions that you don't know you have in extreme ways. Right. And what I would say to people, you know, when you when you're triggered and you respond in the combat zone, you're a badass. When you're triggered and you respond in civilian life, you're a jackass. And and but these things help you reprogram that. Right. In combat, it's to to have a stimulus and response is very life saving. Right. But here, you know, you need to be, well, what is the real situation? Here? Yeah. Different uh, context. Yeah. Years yeah. ago, I'm, I'm walking out of the wild horse downtown and. I didn't know it until I looked over, but a van, a van backfired and I'm like on the ground and my friends are like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, I thought there was, you know. Wow. That's, that's, uh, that's a whole different podcast. That, that's, that's, uh, that's amazing. Well, thank you for, uh, as again, as your story is, you have to uh, talk about the things that bother you or if it's a weakness or it's a strength that you need help. Uh, I think we have, You've, you've reached a lot of people here with their headphones, their earbuds in today, and uh, it's very motivational. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate that. We, we are grateful to have you here on the second cup of Joe and John. It's the second cup of Joe and John as their guests expound on any and all topics within the realm of decency. Want to be a sponsor? Let a TV and radio guy help build your business. Email JoeKingWX at gmail.com or text 615-289-1703. Now, hold on tight and grab another second cup of Joe and John.